Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Ryan Vander Ark. You gotta make sure you say it right because you have some funny ways on your funny things on your on your uh, Instagram that you've heard over the years. Oh, you notice that? Yeah, the name is constantly misspelled, or you know, even in emails from family members, they'll they'll call me Brain. You know, which there could be worse, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like that, uh, yeah, I, I know you ever called me brain. Um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking, I'm like, man, you can really have fun with all your, because the way it, the verb pipe, the nerve, I mean, you can just go on and on. And at least you have a good sense of humor, because, I mean, it's funny. It's, you know. It is funny. I mean, so much confusion already with the verb and the verb pipe that it's like, and then, you know, when I have to say the name and repeat it to someone who might not know the band, you're right. You know, it's nerve pipe, verb pipe. It's all these other nerve, things. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that was the good. worst thing about the name in the beginning was just before we had any notoriety was just trying to explain to people what the name was. And if you said it, if you only had to say it once or twice, then you got off easy. You just had to write it down. <laughs> Have you ever crossed paths and talked to the verb about the whole thing? Or has it just been... No, we crossed paths, but we've never really discussed it. I mean, they got it much worse than we did. I mean, first of all, when we formed the band, it was August of 92, and uh, our guitarist just came up with this random two words, the Verve Pipe. And we knew of Verve Records, which was the jazz label, but we didn't know anything about the band called the Verve. And then um, we saw... Um, one of the English music magazines we were all into. And uh, and there was a advertisement for a storm in heaven. And, and we're like, oh, shit, there's already a band called The Verve. And then we were like, well, what are the chances that, you know, a, this band from Grand Rapids, Michigan is in, and a band from England are going to ever cross paths or whatever? And wouldn't you know it, our, our hit songs were within months of each other in the same year. It was... It, you know, it's it's almost laughable. Now they oh, had it. Totally. They had it worse because I think that when you have a, you know, a band like The Verb, great Richard Ashcroft, Ashcroft is a great songwriter. You got a band like that who's you know the critic darling and um, in a good way, in a good way, uh, oh, yeah. justifiably a critic darling. And you know they have to put up with people coming to their chat boards and websites in the 90s talking about the freshmen, I'm sure, you know, for them, it was much worse for us. Because, you know, for them, it'd be a lot of teenagers, you know, for yeah. us, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a it's a compliment. I just, yeah, I just had it happen, you know, a couple of weeks ago on that five for fighting tour we did where some woman said, did the Rolling Stones tell you you can't play in bittersweet sympathy after our show because we don't play it? And I had to explain to her that's we're not that band. That's a different band. And she what she couldn't get it. She couldn't fathom it. She was <laughs> arguing with me about it. She's like, just really? admit, I'll let you play it. And I said, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Are you know, serious? That's hilarious. As much as I love the song, they won't let us play our own song, you know, and let her go on her way. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's pretty uh, pretty intense though, too. That somebody won't let it go either, huh? Um, what happens all the time? But you're a fantastic songwriter to begin with. I mean, and it's weird that you came out because your your two or three you know bigger songs are, are more mellow. But you got you get heavy too, and you rock out. You know, right. I think that's something that people outside the band you know don't probably realize as much as how 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 heavy you can get. Um, yeah, well, we had uh, you know villains 
the album that had the freshman on it is a is a pretty heavy yeah it's just a a rock album you know it's a it's an alternative rock album but it is rock and you know and penny is poison i think and and um freshman were the only two mellow really mellow songs on there besides veneer um so no yeah because we didn't have any real rock hard heavy singles right don't realize until they come to the show that we actually put on a rock show um now the catalog that we have now is throughout the years is all over the runs the gamut you know which is nice because we have a very dynamic show we can do a very entertaining and dynamic show uh which i like you know well that's the other thing i mean i think the hard challenge for you is also that time period because if it was just it's a very much pop oriented audience so they're only going to hear radio singles that's the audience that probably jumped onto you the most whereas like rock bands or, or jazz or all different other genres have artists the fans like know the albums you know what i mean right sure Where you're coming from it was more of a singles world especially that was the high time for grunge or whatever you want to call it of all the big all the new bands are coming out with a new, a new look it was totally different it was all singles these huge festivals and mm-hmm. you know it was a change in the times which makes it kind of funnier that you actually wrote a song as they say the grunge ruined hard rock or metal which i don't think anything ruins anything i think it's just a cycle you wrote a, a, a song that actually ended up in, in a movie about rock <laughs> yeah and, and you know that's pretty funny and i didn't realize it was you at first too um a lot of people don't you know uh colorful which you're referring to from the movie Rockstar, you know that's the only song on that album really that is not heavy you know that's not a heavy rock band or a hair band you know and um you know we i tried to get rca to release that as a single they they weren't interested because they would have to work with warner brothers on it uh but to this day that's i mean that's a pretty big song for us like people really love that movie and they love that song i mean it was in the pinnacle part of the movie in the very end two of the biggest box office stars at the time unfortunately it came out on 9 11 along with our album came out um well, just shortly after 9 11 but you know we couldn't promote it nobody was really going to movies you know it was just such an odd time uh but to this day people you know uh people still tag me when they play it they cover it again more people cover that song than they cover the freshman for whatever reason it is typically it's from it's mexico or you know it's costa rica it's these odd places south of us that really love that movie so it's funny because i actually had on the singer from uh, steelheart on he said the same thing how 9-11 just crushed that album because the song was they couldn't use words like die and a couple of songs in there and like that and their single was We Die Young. I mean, and that was a huge thing, yeah. you know? That was the other yeah. big song off that soundtrack. You, you guys yeah. like the bookends. And it, yeah. and now it, hit, it hit him too. And that would have been another big song. I mean, you guys would have had probably two ginormous hits from that. Yeah, album. well, that's, you know, the issue then, I remember what you're saying is true because I remember, you know, it was, I think the beer, the big company then was Clear Channel and they put out a list of songs that were banned that wouldn't couldn't be played and there were songs that included what you said you know uh i remember a song in there you know you dropped the bomb on me remember that 80s song i forget oh, yeah yep. you know that there's an example of one of you know 500 songs that were listed that could not be played 
we we had a song out at the time called Never Let You Down, and it was it was shooting up the charts as a happy poppy song. And uh, and then 9-11 hit. And what the radio stations did was they they pushed all of the new music off of their playlist and they started playing comfort music, they said, classic rock, that kind of thing, just something familiar for people. And so, you know, that song was a victim of the same, you know, circumstance, unfortunately. But listen, I got no complaints. <laughs> we, we're no, no, still- no, but it's interesting. <laughs> Look, yeah, we're talking about now, and I mean, you still play, and you sound great. And it, well, the good thing about those two singles that, you know, hey, they still keep paying back in dividends, is when you're not with the band, you can just be you with a piece of guitar, and that's the essence of a good pop song. I would Sounds agree with simple. You. Yeah. you can play it on a guitar, you can play it on, on anything, just get a little sound, and just the, the melody and the words. And everyone, and everyone, everyone understands it universally, and it means something. You know, that's sure. it's like, it's like gold in a songwriter. I mean, and, and, and yeah. I know when people say, like, a one-hit wonder, I'm like, no, wait, first off, if you get that, that one hit, if you get that one song, even if you're a million, you get that one song that touches everybody, that's, that's the best thing in the world. I mean... Yeah. Well, there's also a difference in the quality of the song. I think I think the freshman is is a great song, and I'm happy that I wrote it. Uh, I'm happy, you know I still I'm a believer in the universe telling me things to do, and you know I pay attention to my surroundings, and I really think that these songs are just gifts. The melodies are just gifts, and uh, and everything went right with that song. The lyric is really ambiguous. If I had worked on it the way I work on it now, I probably, you know, I would have ruined it because now I'm writing more specific to me. But the ambiguity really sold that song. People didn't really know what it was about and they made it their own. They they thought they knew what it was about and it, it was their own. And, and that's what got it passed around. And that's what, you know, what really made the song a hit song, you know, so. Do you think at this point though, is it? You think it still opens up doors for you, or is it? Or does it become like at this point because the radio, what there is of radio, of you trying to release any music, is it just like totally the doors are shut because they they aged you into a certain category, like just like with rock and everything else. Well, when it comes to you know a corporation backing us up, you know label backing us up or a great agent backing us up or any of these other uh, publisher backing us up. They would back us up because of the freshmen. We're not going to, we're not going to attract a record label with the new stuff. You know, we're not writing singles now for radio. I have no, I have no concept of what it even is with radio anymore. I mean, you know, we listen to satellite and you listen to, we stream music, you know. Well, that's what I do. Yeah. It's not even now. (laughs) Well, you kind of, you know, I think we're in the age where, which is a good age, bad for musicians because streaming pays 0.00005 cents or whatever. Uh, You know, freshman gets 4 million plays in a quarter and I get a check for $200. You can't make a living in that. But the good thing about where music is for the listener is that it's, it's not, you're not being spoon fed as much. You're now, you now have to rely on well if you like this song you might like this song or whatever and also rely on word of mouth which isn't necessarily a bad a bad thing you know your friends might turn you on to something or somebody you respect will turn you on to something my daughter turned me on to the band mother mother which i had never heard Mm -hmm. and um and you know she's 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 11 years old at the time and i'm like i'm obsessed with that band i'm like oh my god they're (laughs) 
it's just awesome. Elbow is another band, you know, that never really had success in the United States and they sell sell out in stadiums. And I heard that because a friend wrote me and said, you really should listen to this song by Elbow. And then I got all their catalogs and they're the only band I go to see on a destination concert. You know, we'll really? fly to Europe to see them in Europe, you know. So it's a word of mouth type of, uh, you know, atmosphere now. And I, I really embrace that, you know. See, and for me, I usually do the recommends, or if I say like, as we're talking now, I already have two two bands I'm gonna check out. If there's an artist I listen to, who do they listen to? Who are their influences? And you just keep branching off. Next thing you know, you've just got a pile of yeah. music you have to listen to to understand where somebody came yeah. from. And then, and by doing that, you accidentally end up with something else, and it just keeps going. You know? Yeah, and that's uh, that, I think that's a great great way to add to your collection. You know, and now with the now with how popular vinyl is too. You know, you can actually get physical product again, and uh, and have the great artwork and everything that goes along with it. So it's a, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty good time right now. You know, people complain, but it's a pretty good time for music right now. I think if you need a right mindset and you can do it because you can do it a lot yourself, less overhead. You can put digital out. You can kind of do your own thing if you get the right niche and the right audience to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it didn't really well, help yeah. the bands earlier. You know, they they up owing money or going bankrupt. You know, for their yeah. singles. So, I mean, what? Yeah. But I mean, also, you know, just what you said, the fact that it's easy to record music as well and inexpensively is very helpful for these young new bands, you know, that don't need to have a record label because they can, you know, they can record without having to, you know, we used to have a $300,000, $400,000 budget for the studio for three months, which is just <laughs> ludicrous. You know, you don't, need, you don't need to spend that kind of money. You know, now, you know, you could, you could have a Mac and a, you know, and basically a, you know, a nice preamp or something, and you've got a decent album, a decent sounding right. album. What's funny is I don't think people realize I talk about it sometimes. Is I went to school for recording originally. It was analog and went back for digital and stuff. Mm -hmm. Right when it happened, right when, you know, the, the grunge Jerry came in, like rock went out, like all of a sudden it was like, you know, Warren, and then also Alice in Chains, and like everything that like a turn for a lot of those bands. I was I just got out of college, my degree for recording. That's also the same time period that Mac came out with GarageBand, and everyone could start recording yeah. that stuff. Literally, but no no one saw that that little left turn for everybody to the recording because self production and home production also came out then. You know, so it was yeah. kind of funny how yeah. it came about. I'm like, I need a new job. I need I had to go I think it was Moby. We played a show with Moby and I loved that album that came out. I think it was 97 or 98, the really popular one. Yeah. We played a couple of shows with him. And I think he was the first guy that turned me on to the idea of GarageBand and what, you know, what you could actually do in there. And just stripping things down for me and, and making a demo was, is, it's now, even today, it's so much easier to oh, just yeah. do it and know the kind of drum beat you want and throw the loop in there. And then, you know, there's so many very different sounds and everything that I could just throw something on and then give it to the band where it's somewhat realized and they can see the potential of the song. Where in the old days, you'd sit with a four track recorder and then you'd, yes, you know, you'd try to squeeze it into eight tracks, into 16 tracks, you know, as you know. As, as yeah, bounce, a, it, bounce it down and then redo it again. And it's an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much easier now. But, but yeah, but out of the box, it was a pretty good program, right? Out of the box for people to record. I mean, it was pretty incredible that technology mm -hmm. which i think really a lot of artists don't really talk about that because it is it was an important thing but you as a songwriter you've continued to, to write really strong music like it hasn't changed it's just because you know what's commercial not commercial i mean nowadays 
you know, it doesn't matter who you were at any point, how many platinum albums you have, you're not going to get looked at unless you're a teenager who has a, a you know, 15 billion Instagram followers and then they'll look at you, you know, that's how the world goes. Right. right. How, I, appreciate someone... that. I appreciate the compliment. I, you know, yeah. I, as a writer, you know, people will know us for the freshmen, the masses will know us for the freshmen and maybe photograph and colorful, but you know, as a writer, you still want to write. Still crafting a really good song is is a challenge. It's still a challenge to write words that nobody has heard or to come right. up with a concept that nobody has heard. It's still a challenge to squeeze words in and find a better way to say something because it fits a musical phrase better. These are challenges that I love and I've realized over the years that I'll never I'll never not love that. You know, I'm always going to want to write something. I've been working, I've been obsessed with a new song for a month now, waking up every day, trying to figure out two lines to make this thing work. And I can't, and it's, it's, I love it. It's a puzzle. And it's like the greatest puzzle of all time, because when you're done with it, the relief and the release of it out there to your fans is magic. It's just magical, you know? So that's why I write. That's why Channing and our band writes. And that's why the band still plays and still puts out new albums, even though we don't have to. We could get on the 90s tour and play, you know, six songs off of Villains along with Everclear and, you know, Sponge and Sugar Ray and these other bands and get off the stage and be perfectly fine at home. But what fun is that? That's that's no fun. (laughs) Well, that's usually the difference of why I might like a song, but like having an artist like you on my show. It's because I continue to enjoy your music afterwards, you know. It's it's not just that because some bands will come out that one good album and that's all they had in the gas tank. You know what I mean, because you know they yeah. say like you have, you have one, you know, you have um your whole life for that first album, and then you have like six months for your second album. Like yeah. <laughs> that time window. So some bands actually just all their all their greatness is in one one album that comes out, well, and the albums you, afterwards you're like you're like ooh, you yeah. are not that band though. You, you interviewed know? uh you interviewed Ian Anderson and. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, <laughs> people don't know, you know, people know Bungle in the Jungle and they know Aqualung, you know, and maybe a couple other songs. But, you know, Thick as a Brick is one of the greatest songs ever. And some might argue that that was a, a, a hit song and most people should know it. But I run across so many people and I'll play the acoustic guitar at a party or something for fun and I'll go directly to that song because it's so great. And nobody knows the song. And I'm like, God, this is amazing. That this is one of the best songs written. And, and, and continually, actually, I, I don't know if you've heard this new one, the newest one that was promoting. I, no, I haven't one. listened to it. I will, Do though. yourself a favor. Listen to it and let me know what you think of it. It's really I good. I will. Sincerely, I really, I'm like, I loved it. And you saw I start off talking to him. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, after, like, after, what, 50 years? Mm-hmm. How do you, even from this end, interject with somebody to say something different? To do this whole cycle, you know, to to, to bring it fresh. So imagine being an artist in fifty years, trying to make it fresh and exciting. So yeah. when I see somebody who has that in them, it's it's so exciting, you know. And the fact yeah, that you guys do you, it yourself, you know, your own level, your own band. And you can tell when you you know uh, when people are lazy, when songwriters are lazy, and they go to the same places every time. They go to the same melodies. They go to the same chords. Same changes. You know, they, they say the same thing over and over lyrically, and it's lazy. And I could tell you, you wouldn't be interested in that. Like I'm not interested in that. You know, if I want to hear the 
same chord progression from the same person. I want to hear this, the one song that I loved by them and not hear right. this looted version of it over and over and over. You know, I had record label. I, we, I signed on to an independent record label that wanted me to write a sequel to The Freshman. And I can't think of anything more annoying that could possibly be out there. He even had the first line. It was, um, it's been 10 years and I still can't forget her or something like that. I'm like, oh my God, this is Did just- Did he have like a cigar and a Hawaiian shirt on too telling you what to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like every, like every, uh, every radio station ever. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Which is actually a fun, funny stereotype because I actually worked for a uh, uh, radio station one time and the guy interviewed me, literally like, sat down, had a, had a Hawaiian shirt on and a cigar. I'm like, is this the most cliche thing ever? Um, yeah. but, but, but the thing is, you're right. I like albums and, and that's where the balance is where someone like me who have a show would bring on the artists that I like the catalog. And so that's the goal of this is saying, hey, people that may know the freshmen or, or these other singles, great. Mm-hmm. But if you like them, you are going to like the other stuff too. You know, yeah. it's a quality of work, and but that's that's my angle. When I come in to artists for my show because I I don't make money from the show. It's not about that. This show is about me promoting artists that are still relevant. And if you're an artist and you don't want to do new music, that's cool. Yeah, not me to yeah. judge you. And I'll, and I'll go I'll listen to that music. But what I find exciting, and I want to be behind, is when artists continually make new music that's challenging and fresh. That's just not getting a yeah. platform. I'm I'm with you 100%. You know, Billy Joel said he's not going to write songs anymore. He just stopped writing songs. I mean, Billy Joel hasn't really written, from what I've heard, a really great song in a long time. And I think he just realized that he he doesn't have any room on his set list for his live show to play anything (laughs) new because the guy's got 30 songs already that that everybody wants to hear, you know. Uh, So I understand why a guy like that, look, you can hang your hat up, you know, and be done. Right. Springsteen's thing. You've got so many songs, so many great things. Uh, you know, we're we're not that band. We're always I'm always striving to write something that will challenge a listener at a live show. You know, and uh, and I, I love that challenge. I love. But, that. but you're held to those three songs, right? To your three bigger songs at all the shows. Or do you ever just like not play them? Oh, I'm sorry. Say it again. Are you kind of you feel like you're held though to the three bigger songs though for you? Oh yeah, we're definitely held on to yeah, absolutely. We we have to play. There's a handful of songs, five songs, six songs that we absolutely have to play. I feel like, um, but you know, other than that, we can do what we want for the rest of the hour. And a lot of times, you know, we're not one of those bands that plays the set and doesn't play the freshman so that you'll call us out for an encore <laughs> you know so right. we, play the freshman. we we come out we'll play the freshman in the first 45 minutes because we know we just want to play more stuff after that and if you want to stay you can stay if you don't want to stay don't stay you know but uh but that's the way we run our shows <laughs> no that's great i mean let me tell you what, what i thought and it's funny you can give me your feedback on this one back in the black crows way back before the, the 15 breakups with them they had their yeah. handful of singles, you know, hard to handle. She talks angels was a big thing, right? And that was the big battle for them. But yeah. when they went on tour, I saw them. They actually didn't play any of their hits. Oh, they actually funny. did these long jams. They said, you know what? We're going to do the total opposite. I think this was around Southern Harmony uh, album around that time. And at yeah. first I was like, what the heck? Because I'm a deep, I'm a deep cut guy, but I yeah. also like those songs too. Yeah. These happen to be hits. Then afterwards, like halfway through the show, I'm like, you know what? I can go listen to the album. This jam that you're doing right here now, 
Right. Unless you're collecting tapes that back in the day, because it's all there, right? Get off my lawn. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna have that moment. So for artists to just turn their back on, on that on some level is great. I mean, look what happens now. They're doing their hits now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But, but at the time, it was a kind of an exciting concept. You know, yeah. it was along the lines of like like Fish or Grateful Dead, and I'm not what you call Deadhead, but I like that idea too of saying, you know what, we're, we're a band, we're gonna do what we want. Imagine the uh, imagine the ego, and not in a bad way, and that imagine having enough confidence yeah. in what you do to be able to say we're going to do what we want to do. And if you don't like it, you can fuck off and go listen to the album. Now, you know, the Pixies are a great example. Yeah. I think that kind of thing. The Pixies, you know, he'll write, you know, Frank Black, he'll write the set list in alphabetical <coughs> order. And then the next night he'll do it in reverse alphabetical order. Cause it doesn't matter. It's the Pixies. And like, right. you know, and it's, it's always amazing. They're an amazing band. You know, there's a great story. I don't know if it's true or not. I should actually look this up now. But Neil Young, when the Trans album came out, nobody really yeah. cared about the Trans album. And he played the album from start to finish uh, for his show. And then he went off the stage and people were booing, you know. And they and his manager came up and said, man, you, you've got to play the something that's familiar to them, something they've heard before. And so for the encore, they went out and played the exact same set because he figured they had already just heard it. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. That's funny. That is, but that's, but, but I mean, but I didn't have the crux of like you being an artist, you should be able to do what you want to do as an artist. And you love an artist. Are you loving them for what they do? Or are you loving them for what you think that's been put out for you? And that's a different level. Point. Great point. And I thought the same, right before you said that, I thought the same thing. I said, sometimes you want to go see the artist are you going to see the artist or are you going to see the, hear the song? Right. You know what? Somebody like Neil Young, who you respect, I'd be interested in what he's doing. Todd Rundgren. I love Todd Rundgren. Oh my song. God. Me too. Right? He does, but he does, he does his shows and he does a different thing each time. And he does a unique thing, audience participation. You go, that's going to be something to see. Joe Jackson was the same way too. Joe yeah. Jackson, I haven't seen him in years, but Elvis he was, Costello. Wasn't he was Elvis Costello? Elvis Costello, wheel? same he had thing. Like wheel of songs or something too. I heard. Yeah, he does the big wheel. I I just saw that a couple of years ago. I saw him do that, and he ended up. Somebody ended up spinning it, and then they got Oliver's Army, and they played it, and then the next person came up, and it got Oliver's Army again, and he played it again, and it was really? awesome. That's, so for the people who don't understand that we're nerding out here is Elvis Costello has a big wheel song because once again, that's a good workaround. What do you do if you have a huge catalog full of hit singles, tour, but more occult music, like your fans know, you're, just, you're, you're a niche artist at that point. What do you do? Yeah. You have a wheel of songs and you'd spin up and that's how the song set would be picked out, which is brilliant. Brilliant. So that's that's what that was about. Well, who can argue with that, too? If you're a fan of Elvis Costello and you really want to hear pump it up, you know, let's yeah. say. I guess a real fan of Elvis Costello doesn't want to hear pump it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, isn't, it, isn't it hard, though? Like, is the, the biggest songs are some of my favorite artists. I can care less if I hear their singles because I've heard it so much on radio. It's not a bad song. I'm like, I'm like just I'm you're wasting a you. slot. You're wasting a I want to hear the deep cuts. I want to hear the deep cuts, too. I want to hear... I want to hear, you know, something. I can't even. I can't even give you an example. It'd be silly to give you an example, but to go see a, a huge band and to, you know, listen to the last song on the album or something that, you know, was a throwaway tune. Yeah. I would love that. 
you know, love B-sides, the deep B-sides that you hear of them, or are them doing a cover of another band that they love growing up, that they yeah. cut their teeth on, and you see you see yeah. them like, get excited about it, and that's, that's what it's Absolutely. all about. And that's where you are, though. That's what the problem, it's not a bad problem, because if you're, your band is a popular music style, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pop music at that time, too. So that puts you in a spot where you got to do the fight. They're going for the song or for the band. Black Crows drew line in the sand. Also, yeah. I think you're right with a lot of arrogance, too, because especially at that time, um, Chris Rodgers and Hughes just drawing the line with everything, fighting back. But that worked for them. That could have also destroyed the band, too. And they may have come back sure. differently this year. But that's the whole point. You, 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 at what point can you draw the line at the end? Because if you're just popular music, and that's, you know, 60% of your audience come in for those songs. Yeah. there's a, We're in a period with our band where uh, there's time to prepare for a tour. There's time to prepare for individual shows. And so when we went out with Five for Fighting, we knew we had to reintroduce the band to a lot of people that had forgotten about us or maybe hadn't even heard of us because Fight for Fighting was really kind of a triple-A band, you know, or an adult contemporary band. Yeah. And so we did pick a set list that was up and down, you know, it was a heavy song, then it was this, then it was this, then it was an acoustic guitar duet thing, and then it was, you know, the freshman and colorful and photograph. And listen, standing ovations every night for an opening band and then selling a shit ton of merch. It was like, wow, this is amazing. We figured that out. And then now we can go out and play our shows for our crowds in Michigan and the Midwest and play a two hour show and play whatever the hell we want. But so we have the luxury right now of doing whatever we would like to do according to what the show is going to be is what I'm saying. In the old days, when you were on tour constantly promoting the album, you didn't have that opportunity. You had to play all the songs off the album. You know, it was all very central to what your tour was, was whatever the merchandise in the album at the time was. You know? and, and that's the point is people dig deep and that's what people will continue to watch my show. I always say the same thing. It's like, you're at a point now where you can have, and it's been brought up, like say there's 10,000 fans that are fans, or you have 1,000 fans that you cater to, Yep. When I say care, I mean it's a mutual responsibility where they love the albums. Sure, it's it's, it's a shared responsibility. So we'll be catering is the best word. But you know what I'm saying that that um symbiotic relationship, the yin and yang, with those a thousand, you'll make more money as an artist and survive better than if you yeah. try to the ten to twenty thousand with a hit single or hundred. <laughs> you know what I mean? And same thing with with the shirts and the merch. And that's what I tell people all the time is with a band, they got to put the money out for the shirts for the merch and they got to put it there. Then they got to put a trailer with the van or, or the truck. And then the, the buses are like 1500 to a grand a, a day. Then they got to put the gas dragging all the merch around. Is it a two print shirt? It gets costly to print a shirt. So if a band says it's 40 bucks for a shirt, it probably costs two thirds to get it going there between gas and and the cut that the, um, the, uh, the venue is going to get off of it too. Sure. Yeah. Unless you have somebody in the backyard park lot <laughs> selling them. But I mean, yeah, there's the cuts, a lot to do there, but there's a lot of steps there for you just to sell a shirt for 40 bucks for people going, like, that's a rip off. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, when you look at the cost, the actual cost from a manufacturer of a t-shirt, you're looking at $6 or $7. Yeah. How can they charge 40 bucks? Exactly what you're saying. We're charging $40 because there's all, there are all these other steps to get these, this merchandise to you. And there's also chunks being taken out 20, 30% by the venue. That's like the mob. Who does that? I didn't know that. 
You know, yeah. I'm very excited mean, for you. I didn't ever do that. That's, that's, not, gonna that's right. not gonna change. I mean, that's you know, you know, we were selling our T-shirts for a long time for twenty-five bucks, and hey, we go broke. You go absolutely broke. They get, they have to be thirty, thirty-five, forty dollars. You know? And then you have somebody else who has to sell the shirts that you can trust. It's not going to pocket money. And yeah. for people that have heard me say this, you know, excuse me, but for you, this is how I started the show. I was at a Dweezil Zappa show and people were in front yeah. of me and they're complaining about a $40 shirt. And they had no idea everything behind it. I mean, I have a lot more music knowledge behind me working in radio and studios and stuff. Right. But I'm like, in fact, don't we do with that? And then COVID hit on top of it. I'm like, the, the goal was take this time to revisit these artists, go to their websites, buy their merch, understand, and then let me explain it all goes with it. They're sleeping on a band. They're giving them the best performance. They're getting old just like you too. I can't even get a bed now. 52, 52. I couldn't imagine being yeah. having my best performance four times a week. You're lucky if you get one good day out of me a week now. You know, yeah. with, with anything, right? But as an artist, they have, still have to do it. It doesn't matter. You got to look your best. You got to be intolerable. You got to play the clubs. You know, and you, you got these worries of the buses or the vans breaking down and you're dragging the shirts. There's so much going on, you know? Right. And, and to me, I'm like, the bands don't complain about it though. You really don't. And to me, I'm like, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna say it out loud so the bands don't have to say it to yeah. whoever's listening that the band's putting a hard hustle on when they're on tour. It's not uh, champagne no. and uh, champagne dreams, and, and the it's merch is not a big profit making. It just helps keep the gas in the car sometimes on a yeah. tour for the off nights. Yeah, you know? yeah. I wrote a blog um, that was about a year ago about a trip we took to Denver to play a show and just a one off in Denver, and it was a nice chunk of change that we could have flown and just gone in and gone out but we've always had people out in boulder and and other places around there that say come here come here and so i said all right well let's go let's just book a little mini tour and go out there and rent a sprinter van and go you know play these shows yeah. we never play and me we i lost personally lost five grand just doing these shows doing the extra show so i had to put my own money in because we're an independent band and uh, and I wrote a blog about it, and that's but that's the reality with gas and with the logistics and the flights and everything. And people ask, well, why don't you ever play in California? It's expensive to play in yeah. California, man. I mean, it's only it's nearly impossible for us to do it. If I if you know if I had twenty grand to burn, I would fly the band out to California. We go right up the coast, but I don't have twenty <laughs> grand. Yeah, no. Right, and that's the thing. And, and the fans, but the fans, I, I like to know. And if you say your band's coming to town, like I'd see them, and then it comes up, like they're coming, you're like, oh, it's on a weeknight. If you're begging for the band to show up at your town and you don't show up, it's like oh, voting for somebody. I don't want them to be my president, but you didn't vote. Yeah. I'm saying it could be anything. I'm not saying, I'm not getting into politics. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that show. My point is, you you're can't complain right. if, you, if you don't support the band. You know what I mean? Go online. Yeah. And, and from this show, there, you have so many deep cuts. It's just like, the artists I have on the show, like, you know, Jeff Atoll has some deep cut albums. I got some Songs for the Wood. That's a great album. The trilogy of acoustic albums he did. Yeah. Acoustic-ish. I love those. Those are my favorites. Yeah. And like, you're, you, you're, you're another artist. Solid albums the whole way through, the whole career, you know. Um, you're doing your pop-up, you know, pop, kind of like a pop-up tour with you and your guitar. You're doing some, like, a lot yeah. of shows. Uh, can yeah. you yeah. Tell, tell people about that? I, I, the more you just yeah. Cool, actually. Oh. When I did the when I did the lawn, I called it the lawn chairs and living rooms tour. It was back in two thousand seven. I think that you know we had my wife and I had bought a house that we couldn't afford. It was right before the housing crisis and everything, and I, we were broke. And I was like, "Look, you know, book me into your into your home." People were like, "What? You'll come to my house?" and 
And I said, let's cut out the middleman. And I booked like 50 shows in 24 hours because I said, I'll consider any price. And, and I just went from show to show to show. And I figured out how to do it where I could sit on the couch in their living room with an acoustic guitar. And I didn't need a PA system. I, I'd rent a car and I would play two or three of these shows a day. And I did that two or three shows a day. And I did that for 13 years. And, you know, doing 100 shows, I, I did over 800 house concerts in those 13 years, just going from show to show to show, playing acoustic guitar on somebody's couch or in a lawn chair. You know, it was it was great because I got a lot of fans back, uh, but it was exhausting, of course. But, you know, listen, it's just music. It's like I, we're, I, I sit at a party. I try to capitalize on the fact that, like I said earlier, if I sit at a party and somebody's got a guitar and they want me to play something, I'm, do, I'm doing the same thing, but in somebody's house and I'm playing all the requests that they want right. and I'm having an interaction and having a social, you know, interaction with the fans, which is really important to have that connection, you know, and that's how we now have those thousand fans who no matter what we put out, they'll buy it. Mm -hmm. And that keeps us afloat, you know, so. And, and the fact that, there's no ego about it because some artists are like, once they have this certain thing, they go, I can't go back. Even if they wanted to, they need the money because they're like, I'm a rock star. I'm like, no, you're me. You're a musician. You know, it's a shame yep. you don't make more money because how, how, how the music industry is. Right. But the fact you found another Avenue, and I think a lot of bands are do similar things. Not, you know what I mean? Now that the world changed from COVID. Um, well, the, uh, the house culture thing has taken off exponentially over the years. Uh, people realized that there was a real demand for people to want to not be, have to go into a club and women not having to get hit on and, and, have, and not having to go and wait until midnight to see your favorite band because there's four other bands on the bill and all that stuff. So that's really been, um, that's the popularity of house concerts uh, has grown, like I said, exponentially. But I still, I still talk to some of my peers from the 90s that won't, they just won't do it. You know, and I, I don't understand it, but you know, they they just don't want to go back, like you said. And it's like, okay, it never, well, it, it, I guess. But if you just like playing music and you like people, yeah, there's nothing below or beneath you because you, you probably go out and you play other big shows and you can do it this and that. You know, and the thing is, the audience is different now. It's not like you're getting an unknown band, like an unknown Van Halen from Pasadena, California, in 1978, right. right. and your teenagers yeah. collecting money. What you are is you're getting a professional band that's had albums out that you love. And you can do yep. it in your home, and you've got money for it because your your fans, your your main fan base of the age group, the hit is us now, and they have right. more money, and they have more money. Disposable income, you know exactly. So you're not working for beer money. You can actually say this is a price, and if they have friends over, this can be the one thing. Whether it's a vacation or an event, or all the money you spend time on, you know, on your iPhone bill yeah. or whatever else, you know, you can put towards a great evening. Yeah, no bar at your house. And they could charge, and people would charge a cover or donate, take donations. You can't charge a cover to serve alcohol, but they would, they would ask for donations from people, and then they would end up breaking even. The host would break even. I mean, it was a great, we had a great system in place that worked yeah, really well for me to be able to make a living and make six figures just doing the house concerts in the summertime was, was huge for me, huge, you know. So, and, and shocked yeah. that more people don't do it. No, I mean, and then you still get to do what you do. You get to sing. You get to do your songs. You get to yeah. meet people. And you network. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and, and it's and, and you know what? You're not going to get screwed over like a club owner either because half the gigs at the club 
you might not get yeah. your half down the first time, or they might say you didn't fill it, or you got to pay you know, part of the door, or, or, or other battles that fans have to do. You, you know? get surly sound men, you know, you get a manager who doesn't want to pay you because, you know, you didn't get a certain amount of people. You know, it's the whole thing. It's like you didn't have to deal with any of that. People, when you go into somebody's home, and listen, this is not an easy thing to do for anybody, and I understand why some people won't do it, but when I knock on that door, all we've done is gone back and forth on email. I don't know who's behind that door, really. Like, they'll open the door, and I go in, and like, hey, you know, and they're like, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, they introduce the room, and I'm like looking around somebody's house, or a bunch of strangers, but they've paid you a decent amount of money, so go in there, compliment the house, talk to the kids, teach their kid how to play a couple chords if they're interested in the guitar and make a, make a good time of it for everyone. That was what, that was what really worked for me because I really enjoy people in general. I do like people. And it, and it's, it's awesome. It's, it's going to take one good Craigslist murder <laughs> for a musician. <laughs> That's going to ruin it for everybody. Yeah. Like I have some of your albums within the back that crawls through my attic. Can you go back and get those yeah. real quickly? Yeah. Yeah. My manager used to say he used to worry that I would knock I'd knock on somebody's door who said that it was going to be 40 people and it would just be one lonely woman in a wedding dress or something, you know, and you're like, oh, God, now what? But that well, never happened. 800 house concerts, they, I, I got to say, the 95% of them were amazing. You know, the 5% is a little weird, but, you know, you get through it. It's, it's funny. As long as you get the money, either way, it's the same amount of people, right? It's the oh, energy, yeah. but it also probably made you a better musician. Because you stripped down, uh, also much better. You, you, you're, you're, you're like not just being a, a player of a musician, but a crowd work because your comfort level yeah. is exponentially yeah. bigger when you're that close. Because some artists are painfully shy; they can be on a stage, but I mean, you know more than most people in person. Yeah. They're like, are they so stuck up? You're like, no love. It, it's it, they're they're so shy and so much anxiety. It's crippling, and it's yeah. usually drugs or alcohol that helps them perform. And it's usually the crowd is so far away they don't actually see them. It's like like a spotlight and then they go away you know this is is this hands handshaking tour thing makes it way different yeah well i listen and i don't want to dismiss social anxiety you know i because i know so many artists that have it i mean but um but i'm i'm a real believer in getting out of your comfort zone i have a bit i have that bit too where i get where there's too many people and i'm feeling overwhelmed and everything but i like to get out of my comfort zone which is why i do the public speaking which was very uncomfortable for me for the first time. But now that I've done it so many times and done it for corporations, that's really good money. It's really good money. And again, I saw your, your TED, was it a TED talk you did? It was one of my, I saw one you did online. You talked about it. Yeah, it was, it was a, good. It was like a TED talk, but that was a, um, I think that was called Failure Lab, where you talk about yes, your big, yes. yeah, yeah. That's where it all started. And now yeah. I do that in corporations and stuff and travel. You came off very confident, though. You didn't even seem. You felt like a seasoned speaker. That's like, funny you say that because that was the absolute first time I ever got in front of an audience without a guitar right. in hand as a pacifier. You know? so like, I, I hear you say that. I was like, really? Because it really sounds like your comfort level. You're not um, uh, humming or there's no fidgety. You mm. just took to the stage. I'm glad. Like it, was, like it was that and that was it, you know. And I'm sure a lot of your household things helped too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To get in front of people like that and, and have to talk. Oh. As we've had this fun talk, let's and get towards the end of this. I want to say, new music. What what can people look for for you now? And this, the website will be underneath as usual to check out. And I encourage people check out all the music that he's done since then, and the whole band has done. It's really solid, solid, solid work. 
and buy stuff off the website so that they're not sell it and have a venue take 20% of it and everything else. Go to the site, buy from the band directly as much as you can. Um, yeah. But- we, uh, the latest album threads, you know, I mean, we always say we're most, the most proud of our latest effort, but there really are songs on this record that I, that are better than stuff that we've ever written. And, and it really is, it is a roller coaster ride of an album. And, um, and I'm so excited about it and excited to play, you know, play the album live for people. Um, so it's called Threads and it's all different storytelling songs, but, you know, sonically it goes from heavy rock into some pop stuff into Simon and Garfunkel-esque type of acoustic stuff. Uh, and it's a, like I said, it's a roller coaster ride. And, and so far the reaction to it has been phenomenal and like way better than I'd expected. So that's what we're promoting right now is the album Threads. Uh, if you go back into the catalog, and a lot of people don't know that we have some kids' music that we put out as well a few years ago. Uh, so there's funny songs for kids from two to, you know, six years old as well. So there's all kinds of material out there that we have. You know? Excellent. I want to thank you. And you'll be out doing some touring too over this next year or so. And Yeah, we are a lot of touring coming up. So it's exciting to get back on the road for sure. Very good. Well, I, want to, I want to thank you for being on, man. I appreciate this. this is a great cool, Sean. I appreciate. I always appreciate someone who knows their shit <laughs> and just wants to have a conversation. These are always the best interviews. So I commend you, you for that, Sean. I really do. I think it's. I thank you. I try to be the person that I want to see. Yeah. Without the gossip and the trash, I just want to say, artists are very smart and ask the same questions. And this is one of my thing. I'll go to this say. The old interview I saw one time, I said it was a, uh, I think it was in Brazil. And I think a, a fan said, um, was talking to like the guy from Bruce Dickinson or something, Iron Maiden. And the question was, they're like, um, you're the best singer out there. How do you feel? Or something like that. And they're like, like it's so, <laughs> and that's just like the other end of the spectrum where you're like, that's stuff they hear about. Why don't you talk about the person that's writing these really great songs that interest you? Yeah. Why don't you talk about other things that they are about? Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's what artists want. That's what we all want. We want to talk. We want to know what turns you on, and we want to know. We don't want to t- tell you what the name of the band means. <laughs> so thank you for not asking. <laughs> you know. At this point, I try. I, I literally every once in a while I'll ask some question. I feel obligated because a fan yeah. or someone of a band will have sure. written into me and say, "Can you ask them?" You know, yeah. and I always cringe or I try to find a way to not because <laughs> I'm like, that's not, "That's not what I do. It's not what I do. It's yeah. about." promoting the band and make everybody aware of the costs and support these guys support listen yeah you know we, i appreciate we, that man. i do well, hopefully you'll come up my way i'll get to check you guys out live you know would love awesome. it please come see us we have a we have a great live and I, I i'm not afraid to say that we're a really great live band we really are we take it very seriously well considering so. all your concerts you, you should be pretty sharp <laughs> yeah you'd hope so. yeah <laughs> awesome. well, thank you very much all right. All right, dude. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Yeah.